Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. Grace, mercy, and peace to each and every one of you in the name of Jesus, whose grace costs you nothing and everything all at the same time. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Gracious Father, we ask you that you would send your Holy Spirit um, and that, Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts in this time would be pleasing in your sight. And that, Lord, through uh, this time spent, um, that, Lord, you would work in us uh, salvation, that we would truly trust Jesus as the one Savior from sin, death, and hell. In his name we pray. Amen. So let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 10. That's on page 846 in uh, your pew Bibles. And as we look at our text today, I want to direct our attention backwards a little bit to last week, the story that we heard last week. It wasn't included in our reading today, but you cannot understand what Jesus is saying today unless you go back and think about this story a little bit. So uh, look at verses 17 through 22, Mark chapter 10, it's on page 846. Let's recall this story of the rich young man. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, All these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So I want to begin today by asking, what is your reaction? What's kind of your gut reaction as you hear that story? You know, God, when He revealed Himself to us, He didn't give us like a systematic theology textbook. Um, He didn't give us a a series of points or facts about Himself. Uh, When God revealed Himself in Christ, He often told stories. And the goal of these stories is that you would see yourself in the story, right? And so as you see yourself in this story, as you imagine Jesus coming up to you and looking at you intently and loving you and saying, let go of everything, come follow me, what kind of gut reaction do you have? Would you count it a great privilege that the very Son of God would even ask you to follow Him? Or do you maybe feel yourself tensing up and maybe feeling guarded and and just hoping that Jesus would never ask that of you? And if He did, would you waver on whether or not He'd be worth it? 
One of the main questions being asked in this story and in the conversation that Jesus has with His disciples afterwards is the question, how much exactly does it cost to have eternal life? And that's a question I want to explore today. We're going to see that eternal life costs you nothing, but it also costs you everything all at the same time. When it comes to how much something costs, we often want the most in exchange for the least. So, for example, when my grandmother would see that Hy-Vee had pineapple on sale, you know what she did? She bought all the pineapple, right? She had like an Armageddon stash because she wanted the most she could get for the least. She kind of had that Depression-era mindset. I'm the same. When I work out, I want to do the least amount of exercise possible for the greatest results. You're the same too, right? Or when it comes to eating healthy, I want to eat the least healthy I can without being unhealthy. It's kind of a law of human nature. We want the most in exchange for the least. And I think the same is true when it comes to the question of salvation. How much exactly does it cost to have eternal life? What's the good thing we must do? We want to do the least to get the most. And I think that's kind of what's behind the rich man's question. He thinks that he's kept the commandments pretty well, but maybe he feels like something's missing, or maybe he just wants to make sure he's done his due diligence, that he's made a good investment. And so he goes and he talks to Jesus. Now, when he asks Jesus how much it costs, the response Jesus gives is everything. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. What Jesus asked for was the one thing that this man could not and would not give, and that's everything. He wanted eternal life for much, much less than everything. He wanted to keep God at arm's length and still have some control over his own life. He wanted to negotiate salvation on his own terms and his own conditions. And so Jesus offers a condition that shows the real condition of the man's heart. And so the man goes away sad because he wanted a salvation that was less than Jesus. And so as the man makes his exit, Jesus says that it will be difficult for the rich and the powerful to enter God's kingdom. Two weeks ago, we saw that it is easy for the children, the weak, the powerless, to enter. But he says for the rich, it's difficult. So the disciples are amazed at this. And to their amazement, Jesus tells them something even more amazing. He says it's actually easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And so it's at this point that the disciples' minds are just completely blown. And so they say, well then, Jesus, who can even be saved after all? And that's when Jesus drops the bombshell on all human efforts. Jesus said, being saved, with man, it's impossible. Impossible. Last week, Pastor Tim went deep into this theme, into this consistent teaching of Scripture we can never give up or talk about too much because it's what makes our Christian faith different from every other belief or religion in the world. It's the truth that we all need to come to grips with and never forget, and it is this, that there is absolutely nothing 
that you or I can do to earn everlasting life. Do you believe this? You're not saying anything. <laughs> Making me worried here. Do you believe this? That there's nothing you can do with you, with me, with us, eternal life is simply impossible. How much does it cost? Too much. You see, when the rich man said that he had kept all of the commandments, what he failed to see is that even his best effort to keep God's commandments couldn't even scratch the surface of the enormous debt that he owed God for not even keeping the first commandment just to fear, to love, and to trust in God above all things. And the same is true for you and me. The best effort that you might put into being a good person cannot even begin to scratch the surface of the debt that you owe a holy God because you have broken the first commandment as I have too. Anytime, anything, or anyone is bigger in your life, bigger in your heart than God, let me say that again. Anytime, anything, or anyone is bigger in your life or my life than God, then that first commandment is shattered, creating a debt that you could never pay. No works, no efforts, no good intentions, no good vibes could ever pay your debt. Only Jesus. Let's say it together. Only Jesus. One more time. Only Jesus. Only Jesus was worthy to do so, and only Jesus was willing to do so, to pay your debt. He and He alone walked the painful path to the cross, and there He gave everything. And because of His everything, eternal life now costs nothing. Nothing. Once again, this is the clear, consistent teaching of the Christian faith, and we must hold this in front of our eyes and defend it because it's so counterintuitive to everything we experience on a daily basis. Everything we do on a daily basis is about our performance, whether you're in work or school. How much does eternal life cost? Well, it costs Jesus everything. And so now it costs you nothing. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, It is by grace that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ and not by our works so that nobody can boast or take credit for it. Paul says again in Romans 3, We are saved apart from the law. The law plays no role except for showing us our need for salvation. We are saved apart from the law through the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. Or Titus 3, Paul says, we are saved not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of His own mercy. Or the Bible ends in Revelation 22 with this beautiful invitation, let the one who desires take the water of life without price for free. But here's the thing. When you receive this free gift of life everlasting that costs nothing, it ends up costing you everything. Let me say that one more time. When you receive this free gift of life everlasting that costs you nothing, it ends up costing you everything. Everything. 
Because in the presence of such unearned love given to us by Jesus, how could we ever hold anything back from Him that He asks for? Right? Can you imagine Jesus upon the cross laying down His life for you and you or me negotiating with Him saying, Jesus, I'll give you this, but not this. That doesn't make sense, right? We can't negotiate with a love like that. We yield to a love like that. Jesus very well may not ask you to sell all your possessions and walk away from them and follow Him. Of course, if we all did that in this church, we would all be poor and we wouldn't be able to help the poor. Scriptures do teach that there is a wise, faithful use of possessions and money. But He is calling us to give everything, especially that thing which is bigger in your heart or my heart than God Himself. I think of the stanza from the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, after reflecting upon the, the self-giving love of Jesus Christ upon the cross, it's all summed up this way, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Now, if we're honest, we have to admit that when we first come to Jesus, we're probably not looking to follow Him regardless of the cost, right? It's not our first intuition, not our first move when we come to Jesus. Likely, we come to Jesus because he, we wanted Him to help us or to heal us or to give us some meaning in life. And that's not bad. Jesus will work with that. But then we encounter His grace, and the more we encounter His grace, the more He wants. And the more we get than we bargained for. It's kind of like that children's book, ever read, there's like eight variations of it, but if you give a mouse a cookie... If you give a moose a muffin, what happens? The mouse comes back and has another request, and another, and another. If you come to Jesus, you experience His grace. He says, well, what about this part of your life? What about this part of your life? Until eventually it's all His. You see, his love for you is so intense that He isn't content to just have your attention for an hour on Sunday. He doesn't want just a part of your life. He wants your entire life. You see, He gives His life for you by grace, and then He takes over every single part of your life by grace. That's what grace does. Grace wins your life over, and then it takes it over because it was never yours to have in the first place. Yes, eternal life is a free gift that costs you nothing. You cannot earn it. You cannot work your way into it. But the presence of this free gift in your life is going to cost you everything. Because Jesus Christ fully intends on moving into every square inch of your life. He wants to move into every square inch of your thoughts, your desires, your work, your free time, your marriage, your singleness, your joy, your pain, your parenthood, your finances, everything. He wants it all. Every square inch by grace for Him. This grace that is free and yet costs everything is what the German theologian 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer called costly grace. Maybe you've heard this before, costly grace. It comes from his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer describes costly grace as costly because it costs the Son of God his very life. And it's grace that both forgives our sins and calls us out of our sins and into a new way of life, a way of life that follows Jesus wherever he leads. This costly grace is the complete opposite of its enemy and counterfeit, what Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. Cheap grace is what Bonhoeffer saw all around him in Germany at the time that he wrote. Cheap grace, he writes, is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, a grace we invent and bestow on ourselves and which leads us to think and live just like the world. So there's no difference between the way we think or live than the world. That's cheap grace. It's a grace we make up and give to ourselves. The truth is that to be a true, genuine Christian who lives under the free yet costly grace of Jesus Christ, it will always cost you something. Do you feel that? Always. It will always cost you something. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're a high school student who's lost friendships because of your faith. Maybe you've passed over opportunities that the world would call success because of the grace of Christ. The free grace of Jesus Christ in your life has maybe cost you your own comfort. Maybe it's cost you a relationship or two. Maybe it's cost you what the world would call opportunities. Maybe it's cost you your time and your resources. Maybe it's cost you countless battles with temptation rather than yielding to them. It's cost you something. But perhaps some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Because the grace you believe in is a cheap grace. It's a grace not given by Jesus, but it's a grace that you've given to yourself to avoid following Jesus. Cheap grace. I believe in my heart of hearts that God is calling us in this congregation to be a costly grace church. Not a cheap grace church. A costly grace church. A community where it costs something to follow Jesus. And that really makes sense of what Peter is asking Jesus at the end of the text. Look at the Bible here again. Look at Mark 10. And let's take a look at verse 28. So, after Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship, Peter pipes up in verse 28 and he says, See, we have left everything and followed you. Now, on the one hand, Jesus is going to caution Peter. Because whenever we talk about the cost, when we talk about giving something up, when we, when we talk about leaving something behind for the sake of discipleship, we can go into legalism mode, comparison mode. Look what I gave up compared to you mode. We can fall into the greatest of all sins, which is pride. And so that's why at the end, verse 31, Jesus reminds Peter, but many who are first will be last. 
and the last first. I think Jesus is reminding Peter, hey Peter, remember those kids that you wanted to prevent from seeing me? They're first. Are you okay with being last? Things aren't always what they seem. But nevertheless, Jesus does respond to Peter's statement favorably. Look what he says. Peter said to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And look in verse 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. That's the cost. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You see, the grace of God in our lives leads to a cost, and that cost is different for all of us, but in the end it's everything. But Jesus is saying that when there's a cost, something's given back. And it's not just the eternal life that the grace of God gives you. We actually get something back in the here and now. And did you see what it was? I'm looking at it right now. It's you. See, when grace costs us something, and in this case, it costs people relationships, It's a risky social thing to follow Jesus in the first century. Some people were even disowned by their family or their friends, but they got their family and their friends back eternally in the church. In this community of costly grace, God gave back what was lost. So maybe you've lost something because of the gospel, but my prayer is that you get it back here. That's why Christian community is so important. Because if in the future, I guarantee you that our faith is going to become more costly. And as it becomes more costly, we have to be able to give it back to people when they come here. Do you see that? If the grace of Jesus costs something, then may it be that we as a costly grace community give it back to people 100-fold and the community they find here, and the love they find here. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, our King, Lord, do not allow us to be a a cheap grace church, but let us be a costly grace church, a people won by your blood, a people purchased and won by you, that we would be your own and live under your kingdom forever. Come, Lord, and give us this grace, even when we don't want it. Come and give this grace to us, costly grace, that we might follow you, whatever the cost. Amen.